the music was loud, as it was in most lounges in the 1980s. Lily was working as a hostess in Golden Sultan, but despite the speakers blasting away, her mind was thinking about the man who she was expecting to meet that night. Part of the challenge of being a hostess was to walk the tightrope between business and emotions. Some of her clients might mistake her services as affection. She was worried he would be thinking the same. So as a precaution, there were bouncers within the lounge, just in case things got hairy. The bouncer working for the night was Hian Chong, and he was just standing around when he saw the man that Lily had mentioned. He kept his eye on him. It would seem the man noticed, so he took a step forward towards Hian Chong. Hey, the man must have said. I heard from Lily, you're going to be greater than Lim Ban Lim himself. You know that means you've got to commit murder, right? Hian Chong probably replied. Yeah, I've already done it. Hmm, really? Hian Chong thought the man was nuts. So, how many? The man brought his hand up into a fist, opened his thumb, then his index finger, his middle, his ring, and finally, his pinky. He opened his fist into a hand and replied, <laughs> Five. This is Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by MediaCorp and produced by OneUp Media. But first, a message from this episode's partner. Asia, it is the largest and most diverse continent in the world. But along the many beautiful tourist spots and attractions exist some truly interesting and sometimes downright horrifying true crime stories. Hi, my name is Christine Abrigana and I host Asia in the Shadows, a weekly true crime podcast. Every week on a Wednesday, I release true crime stories from all over Asia. I have covered cases from Japan, India, Hong Kong, the Philippines, South Korea, and so many more. If you're into true crime or if you just want to dabble here and there, then do consider subscribing to my podcast on platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts in order to get regular updates every time I release an episode. And now, back to Heinous. In the last episode, we met Lily, who was terrified of the man in the lounge. He claimed he would become greater than Lim Ban Lim himself, who we learned murdered Corporal Chong Tai at Point Blank. We also met Hong Lee and Hong Lim, all three terrorised Singapore from the 1960s to 70s. But what we didn't know was why Lily was so afraid. Robbing the Straits Times and shooting an officer would seem bad enough. So, what could be worse? The objective of the Treasury of the State of Johor Bahru is to plan, manage, and implement monetary and budgetary policies. Like most treasuries, they ensure the collection of taxes or other state revenues and the redistribution into government investments. Back in 1968, we would expect that the majority of these transactions would have to be done in physical assets. For example, cash. After all, most modern online payment systems only appeared in the 1990s. As a critical government office, there would be, at the very least, armed guards, checkpoint securities, and alarms to alert the authorities. 
Which was why when a police constable was seen around the treasury of Johor in August 1968, there was little surprise. Hey, the police constable greeted the team that day. He was a little more vigilant. After all, he was very familiar with what had been happening lately. I still can't believe the Straits Times printing department was robbed of $30,000. He might have remarked, Yeah, you've heard about the first national city bank in Collar Key, right? $156,000. That's insane. Someone in the team might have replied. The police constable would have continued the conversation, except he couldn't. On that day, it was reported that in August 1968, six gunmen came and stormed the treasury in Johor and left with $450,000. That would be worth $1.7 million in today's value. While they made sure to leave as little as they could behind, they would leave a body there. The body of a police constable who was present on that day. Nothing else was written about him, or at least we couldn't find anything else. The robbers that came were led by a man. What he had achieved was the combined actions of both Hong Li and Hong Lim. Robbery and murder. But while the authorities failed to catch the robbers, they knew the team was led by Lim Ban Lim, Hong Li and Hong Lim combined. But this probably wasn't the only reason why Lily was afraid. It was what we were about to learn that had gotten her guard up. Lim Ban Lim woke up from a daze. This was the seventh day that he couldn't eat properly, but it was to be expected. His longtime friend Chua A Kao was probably with him at the time. It was him, A Kao, who guided Ban Lim to where he needed to go. I can't wait till they get rid of this nonsense, he might have said to A Kao. At that time, Lim Ban Lim was getting a reputation, not only as a sharpshooter, but also as an ambidextrous shooter. His face was all over Singapore. After all, he was Singapore's most wanted criminal, with a $10,000 bounty on his head. Let's just get this done, he mumbled. The traffic in Indonesia was terrible, but they eventually made it to the clinic. Doctors removed the splint and bandages from all over Lim Ban Lim's face, and they showed him the mirror. Are you happy with this, Mr. Lim Ban Lim? The doctors might have asked. He smiled and replied, Lim Ban Lim is dead. My new name is Tao Hong Lim. You see, what we learned was that Lim Ban Lim, Hong Lim, and Hong Li were all the same person. In fact, records would state that he has anywhere between six to nine aliases. As to why authorities would struggle to catch Ban Lim, this was because they had no idea what he looked like. They had to rely on tip-offs about the plastic surgeries that he had gone for to estimate how Lim Ban Lim would look. It was said that after every major haul, he would leave Singapore and return with a new face, and the authorities had to start from zero again. Our guess on why Lily was so scared was because Lim Ban Lim wasn't just a robber or a sharpshooter in the streets. He wanted to be the best robber that could ever be, and so dedicated was Lim Ban Lim to his craft that he would even spend his stolen money to change his face, just to stay ahead of authorities. If the man she had met was anything like Lim Ban Lim, maybe he too was a psychopath in the making. And this psychopath might have just fallen in love with her. Tying the records together of Ban Lim, Hong Lim, and Hong Li 
would have showed that Lim Ban Lim was organising robberies in both Singapore and Malaysia for more than 10 years. He would have led teams to get away with a combined total of $2.5 million, or about $9 million in today's value. He would have also been liable for killing two police officers, one during a shootout and another while robbing the state treasury in Johor. He probably would have injured dozens more. We believe that part of his success was due to his refusal to trust anyone except Chua Ah Kao. This also meant that there were fewer people that would have known his whereabouts. As to his whereabouts, there were many possibilities. The records show that he had forged travel documents associated with Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand and Hong Kong. At that time, it would seem like finding him would be an impossible task. The telephone rang in a police station. Hello? A police officer answered the phone. Get me the head of the Criminal Investigations Department. The head of the CID was in his office. He was busy thinking about their number one most wanted, Lim Ban Lim. There was a banging sound on his door. You can come. Before he could finish his sentence, the police officer came rushing in with the phone. You've got to take this call. It's Lim Ban Lim. The head of the CID picked up the phone and a voice came through. You will never catch me. When you are about to arrest me, I will surely engage you in a gunfight. I will use the last bullet to end my life so you can only collect my body. The line went dead after. That utterance was perhaps the only verbal evidence that we could find of Lim Ban Lim. But one thing became apparent to us as we did the research. This quote was drastically more brazen in comparison to the written letter that he sent before to an editor. We recall from episode 1 that the letter was talking about self-defense. If anything, it seemed that Lim Ban Lim was getting complacent. As his reign was starting to spill over into the 1970s, this complacency would be his downfall. While the records didn't show who informed the police about his whereabouts on 24th November 1972, we believe he started sharing about his activities more haphazardly as success got to his head. The reign of Lim Ban Lim would not last. Pasar malams or night markets were commonplace in Singapore, even in the early 2000s. Heartland areas would team with locals vying for cheap household items or their Ramli burger fix. These night markets have all but vanished during COVID-19, and we can only hope that they return in better times. But back in the 1970s, Pasar malams would have probably been able to draw an even larger crowd than in our recent memory. And here, we would see too a larger variety of people, including Singapore's most wanted Lim Ban Lim. It was the 24th of November 1972, evening time, but it hardly felt like the day was ending in Queenstown. <laughs> Mommy, there! A child called out, dragging its mother towards the noisy bustle. An Indian man was speaking Tamil to a friend as they crunched animatedly on some murukus. There! The child called again, motioning to the source of the snack. The little boy had a tough decision to make. It was either muruku, maybe goreng pisang, or... Just then, a man walked by him. Who 
is that? The boy thought, conscious of the man's purposeful gait. The man was quickly followed by another person. The little boy could feel something important was happening, so he dropped his mother's hand and he followed them. They entered a shop and he waited outside. He was a bit annoyed that he was no longer in on what was happening, but he was also aware of his mother trailing behind him. The little boy looked at his tiny Casio watch. 7.30pm, he read off the screen quietly. They've been in there for so long. He felt just like the police, waiting at the ready to catch a criminal. After a while, the little boy started to get bored. I spy with my little eye the Golden City Theatre. I spy with my little eye Block 6. I spy with my little eye... Oh, they're back! He thought to himself, as the two men darted out of the shop. The men ran in opposite directions, and the little boy's gaze trailed them both intently. As they lifted their arms and began firing towards six passerbys in the crowd, The boy felt the violent warmth of his mother's embrace as she rushed him to safety behind a truck full of ice drinks. He looked again at his watch as the gunshots rang through his ears. 8.25pm. The pasamalam was fading away, but the little boy could just about make out the six figures chasing the two men. A second series of gunshots would keep the little boy alert, but only till the men charged right into the trunk of ice drinks. The boy closed his eyes tightly. The little boy knew he wasn't dead, so he opened his eyes. He was still being carried, so his mother was alive. But a man staggered beside them, clutching his chest and moving for another 10 meters before collapsing on the ground. The six passers-by would converge upon him, store their guns and begin to search the body to take his fingerprints. They would find 13 bullets in his pockets, and only a dollar and forty cents in change. And they would then verify that those were the very fingerprints of Lim Ban Lim. On the 24th of November, 1972, six policemen would successfully ambush Lim Ban Lim and kill him in a shootout without giving him the opportunity to shoot himself. Six weeks later, they would have a similar ambush, where Chua Ah Kao would kill himself, rather than experience the same humiliating end. Lim Ban Lim's reign of terror was over, or so we thought. Eleven years into the future, a new evil was brewing. And Lily was in his presence. In the next episode, we'll learn about the aftermath of Lim Ban Lim's death, from prison breaks to inspiring a new evil in Singapore. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Heinous, an Asian true crime podcast brought to you by Mediacorp and produced by 1UP Media. If you would like to share some feedback or suggest other cases that you would like us to cover, you can reach out to us via email at heinous at oneupmediapodcast.com or through our Instagram or TikTok page at heinous underscore one-up media. 
This episode of Heinous was researched, produced, and written by Yeo Guangjin, with audio engineering by Ethan Sam. Special thanks as well to executive producers Danny Cordy and Barry Toh from MediaCorp. We hope to see you again soon in the next episode of Heinous. Hey